morning. Yeah, uh, pretty thankful for Brenda and her investment. Um, and uh, if you'd like to pick up a box, you can do that outside in the lobby. Uh, Brenda's stationed out there and would love to be able to direct you. Uh, hey, hey, and if you're new around here, we are so thankful you're joining us. We're uh, in a study of James. And, uh, and our heart is just to work through the text, is to work through different texts uh, one week at a time as we work through entire books. And so we believe God wrote this and we want to study it. We want to rally and center our lives around it. And so uh, uh, we are glad you are here. Um, you guys love getting gifts? Who loves getting gifts? For all of you that didn't raise your hand, I will happily take your gifts. Whenever, whenever your birthdays or anniversary comes around, I will happily just put my name out there for, uh, for that. Um, yeah, over, over the years, uh, I've gotten just a few gifts. And, uh, and this, uh, Casey got this for me on our um, 30th or on my 30th birthday. It's Saddleback Leather. Um, and I love their slogan. It is, your grandkids will fight over it when you're dead. I'm like, how do you, how do you not get excited about that? Um, someone told me, though, they said, David, I think I paid more for my, uh, or less for my first car than you did for that bag. Um, but it is a gift, the gift that just keeps on giving for the rest of your life until you pass it on to your grandkids, right? Um, uh, there was a lady, Katie Palatavis, early on in our time, uh, here came up and gave me this gift. And, and it, you ever get those gifts where you feel like there's mixed emotions when you get it? And you're like, wow, like this is wonderful. And then, and then I opened it up and then she found out I was a Vikings fan. And then this, <laughs> this is what she provided. And I think this is my next Halloween costume. Is that what it is for Triple Treat today? Um, and, then, and then gifts, maybe that you get that that in the moment you're not as grateful for, but you look back and you see the benefit. Um, so my dad and I used to go fly fishing every summer uh, for about two weeks in Montana um, up to the time I was 18. And then, and then in college, he, uh, he gave me this. And you know in the moment you're like, well, I, I could have thought of a few other things that you might have gotten me. Um, but he got me this, he gave me his first fly rod, this old antique uh, fiberglass wonder rod here. And uh, um, again, as a college student, um, might not have been my first uh, suggestion, but now looking back, um, you guys fly fish? I tried. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, so now um, one of those gifts that down the road actually has become quite meaningful um, to me. And then uh, for Casey and I, we were, uh, we, we were going through the infertility process, and there was a family that opened up their home, unaware of what was going on, just said, hey, we, we'd love you to house sit for us for a little bit. Ended up being about a three-year journey. Um, and I felt like I knew what Paul meant when he said to be in plenty and be in want. I moved, we moved from like a two-bedroom apartment into this uh, estate. And while being there, though, uh, my sweet wife, you guys pray, you pray. Did you have a list of what you were praying for when you were praying for your spouse? I know you did. You don't need to say it out loud. But I remember praying for two things, right? What first, first and foremost, someone that loved Jesus, that would press me to love Jesus more. And then second, 
um, someone who would just find great delight in writing some notes, some nice love notes, some notes every once in a while, just just some nice words. Uh, I got the first one. Um, Casey, on the other hand, she would not want to write any notes if it was at all possible. And so it was right around this time um, when we were just going through this journey. Um, Casey, uh, fighting for our joy, and I still have them, just uh, notes that she had penned over that period of time and how meaningful that was. Uh, James, this morning, has something for us, and, and he's going to tell us about gifts. And he's going to talk about the gifts that are obvious, but also the not-so-obvious gifts. And here's what he's got for us this morning. He says this, How do we experience joy in the midst of a broken world? James calls us to look up and challenges us that when we don't recognize some of God's good and perfect gifts as gifts, it robs us of joy. Did you catch that? I want to say it one more time. So test this this morning. As always, we have a desire to be first-handers around here. We, we want to grow in our ability to hear from God through his words. So test this this morning. But when we don't recognize some of God's good and perfect gifts as gifts, it robs us of joy. So pray with me as we dig into the text this morning. Oh, God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our lives. We want to hear from you through your word. In the midst of all the challenges or circumstances that we are surrounded by each and every day, we want to hear from your brother James. We want to hear your words through him and and what he is challenging us with this morning. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So James, James has been a beautiful text because it's all about demonstrating our faith. That if we have faith, it gets demonstrated in our lives by producing works. That faith works. And so here's where James goes this morning. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so where does he start? He's going to start, I think. We're going to divide the text. God's gifts, the obvious ones, and the not so obvious gifts. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift Now, it's not like there's good, gooder, and goodest in terms of gifts, right? If it comes from God, it's good. So he's not trying to say two different kinds of gifts. He's just saying, if it comes from God, it's a good gift. It is a wonderful, perfect, good gift. Every good and perfect gift. So I I started thinking and recounting some of the gifts in our lives. What are those things that we have that are good in our life. And I I think first and foremost, salvation, that we are through faith in Jesus. If you treasure Jesus, there's this gift of salvation, that we are heirs with him. What a beautiful thing. What a great gift. Uh, And I look, an amazing family. I'm thankful for for my kids, for my wife, for, for the amazing family, and for our incredible church family. 
Of all the places that Casey and I could have thought to land it, uh, we are so thankful God brought us to Oregon, brought us to Hillcrest for, for the relationships, for the, for the beautiful church family we experience. For our home, yeah, you know, we have a basement, right? You guys know that? In Wisconsin, we have basements. Now I can like send my kids downstairs and send them away and just send them out of the house for a little bit and, and we can hang up upstairs. Cars, right? The gift, the fact that we get to drive. I am so glad I was born in this particular generation. I don't know how I would have, I'm such a city boy. I don't know how I would have survived in any other generation. I, I, I get jealous of the DIY people. It's just, you guys know I built a deck? I've never built anything like that in my life. I am so thankful for cars, for our kids, the gift that our kids are, for the comfort that we live in in this world, in this century, and for Oregon, Wisconsin. I thought people were messing with me when they were saying Oregon. I'm like, no, it's Oregon. It's Oregon, right? For the first few months, I'm like, is this just like a joke to mess with me, to keep saying, no, it really is Oregon, Wisconsin. I feel like it's the best of both worlds. Don't tell the people in Southern California, we have it good here. I love it. It feels like this beautiful, beautiful community, and yet I'm 20 minutes away from Target. It's a wonderful win-win of where we are planted. And the winter keeps people away, right? We want to keep telling them how horrible the winter is, so they stay away. Is that it? And then of the two sports, of the sports that could have been what seems to be prevalent in Oregon, I show up and it's beach volleyball and we have a gym, basketball. I mean, I know God's sport is basketball. It's what we're going to be playing in heaven. I know this. And so what a gift. These are beautiful gifts we have. And the fact that we have seasons, right? One of my favorite things every year now, it'll be the third year now, is, is driving down Katy Lane and I think they're silver maples and they turn bright red and they just kind of overarch over the road near our home. And, and I love, I take the kids on laps through this lane during the fall. They're like, dad, we're going around again. Yes, we are. We have seasons. This is a beautiful thing. James tells us, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. One of the things I love around here, again, from above. We don't look out at the chaos. Instead, what do we do? We look up. James says every good and perfect gift comes from above. The giver determines the context of the gift, right? Can you imagine if, if Fred was writing me love letters? You know, we might go, well, well that kind of changes the context of the gift. Instead, we probably have to have a different conversation. But the fact that God gives the gift changes everything. James tells us this, and we love this, one of my favorite uh, verses that Jesus is talking about. He says this, which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? A.W. Tozer says it this way, right? He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The giver determines the context. And what we know to be true about God gives us an understanding of what we understand about the gifts we're receiving. The obvious and the not so obvious. That he is our father. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. 
And then he continues on, coming down from the Father of light. He tells us more about this giver from whom we're receiving these gifts. What is the Father of lights? Not necessarily the language we often use, just the author of creation. The Father of the sun, moon, stars, and every galaxy. This God is the one giving the gifts. And, and what should we know about this Father of lights? What does he tell us? He's unchanging. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Because you can see up here, right? You can see how there's a shadow. And as I move, what happens? The shadow moves. The shadow changes. Maybe I could start doing like hand puppets up here, right? What happens? When the circumstances change, there's variation. How would it feel if, if with God, as we go through things, we're always trying to guess what he wants and what new hoop he wants us to jump through? Instead, James says, this good God gives good gifts and there is no change. He is our father, determines the context of the gift, and he is unchanging. How would we receive that? That's love. We receive it with love. And he continues, this love of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, his love, his goodness. Do we deserve that? He says it's undeserved. He brings it forth, not something that I willed in my life to become his child. Apart from anything I did, if he looked at my life, he goes, David, you're worthless. And yet to me, you're priceless. Why? He's adopted me into his family. His goodness is undeserved that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. His goodness is undeserved and it is unending. That there's this sense that what would it feel like when people interacted with the people of Hillcrest and they experienced just a taste of this God through our lives, that we are his first fruits, that his goodness is pouring out of our lives and people are getting a taste of this God to which they say, man, I want more of what you have. What would that feel like if there was a community sold out and planted in southern Wisconsin living in this sense? But what was, what was the title of the sermon? The gift nobody wants. That there are obvious gifts that we see and there are not so obvious gifts. Here's what James tells us. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, every and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. Do you think I just skipped over verse 16? <laughs> Instead, James has something profound in there. He says, do not be deceived. He's concerned that we might miss what's going on in our lives is absent from God's work. <laughs> He's concerned that we might be deceived to believe God is not present at all. Instead, he's used two different words. Translated in English, but the same word in Greek. Tests and trials in verse 2 to 12, 
He says temptation. Ryan did a great job pulling that apart for us. Temptation in 13 to 15. So immediately following, because he's been telling us about trials, and then last week, the English translators switch it to temptation and say, do not be deceived that God is tempting you, nor is he tempted. And he just got finished talking about trials. So we're asking, why is it translated into English two different ways if it's the same Greek word? Why is that? Here's what it feels like. And sometimes, sometimes these ideas make sense in my head. They might not always be clear up here, but this is my best attempt to try and help clarify as I try and understand why interpret it these two ways, temptation and trial, if it's the same Greek word. So we have these trials that come into our life, the external things that happen in our life. We're experiencing a few different circumstances all around us as we speak. Could be in our marriages, could be cultural challenges that are taking place, frustration in the workplace, things not going the way you'd want it to. There's trials that are taking place. And last week, Ryan talked about temptation. There's these internal things that are happening simultaneously, external trial, internal temptation, that might lure us away to believe God isn't good. So James says, do not be deceived, brothers. You're having these internal dialogues, these temptations to believe and doubt God's goodness. When these trials come into our life, who's actually bringing them? Who's actually allowing them? Here's what he says. Do not be deceived, my brothers, that every good and perfect gift comes from God. The things happening in your life, there are obvious gifts and there are not so obvious gifts that are actually being given by God to grow your steadfastness and to produce the crown of life. Here's what he says. I don't know if you remember this. The actual state and desired state. Where there's this gap that exists between our actual state and our desired state. So our actual state, for some of us, that might be hunger, sexual desire, money. That that's where we find ourselves. And the desired state would be, I want to be filled. I want that hunger to be satiated. I want this sexual desire to be satisfied. And, and, I, and for money, I, I want to be a steward of the resources allocated. And yet, when tempted, our desired state might be lured from temptation to sin to death, where that hunger now could lead to gluttony, where that sexual desire could lead to lust, or that money that's a tool could lead to greed. The trial and the temptation, same word. God doesn't tempt us, and yet he brings these trials. Because we're not going to say health and wealth feel like the two major categories that people want to claim. That God wants you to be happy with your health and happy with your wealth. Would you tell someone not to pray for the cancer to be removed? That desired state, the cancer to be removed. We want to pray for healing. 
But we might be tempted to believe that if the cancer is not removed, that God wasn't good. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. God is at work giving good, not so obvious gifts. So I've dealt with enough Christians, right? I've, I've grown up in the church. Here's what it feels like we sometimes do. We go to one of two extremes on this gap. On one side, on the desired state, we just pretend those, those desires don't exist. We just pretend like those things don't exist in our life. We just, we're either ignorant, we just we want to fake it till we make it. That feels actually destructive to the yet to believe, where it feels like we don't actually have any awareness of the challenges in life. And just as dangerous it feels like on the other end, we just tell God in our actual state, you know, I've actually made all the plans. Here's the plan, here's the blueprint. You know, I have this issue in my life, my actual state. I'm hungry, whatever it might be, and here's my plan to make it happen. And there's this arrogance on how we actually deal with the circumstances in our actual state. Instead, we recognize there are these desires. Not just suck it up and grin and bear it and just bear under suffering till Jesus sometimes comes back, but actually believing there's joy to be had now. Because what if my desire is for marriage or the marriage never shows up? What, what would happen if my desire is for uh, healthier parents or uh, the lack of parents? I'm missing some parents. Or, or, or my desire for healthier kids or maybe even the desire for kids. Uh, maybe a job or the lack of job. Whatever my desired state might be, what does James tell us? He says there is an opportunity for pure joy to be had in that gap. Don't be lured into temptation, but believe the trial. Don't be deceived. This trial is a good and perfect gift from God. So here's how it makes sense in my head. That same circumstance, same Greek word, trial and temptation. Temptation, not given by God, sinful desires lure us into sin and lead to death, the trial instead gives us an opportunity for steadfastness that produces the crown of life. James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. Now, now when's, when's usually like the worst time to talk about joy in trials? <laughs> usually right in the middle of when you're experiencing a trial. <laughs> when's like the worst time to be talking about having pure joy in the midst of challenging circumstances and believing they're from God? Usually right in the middle of when those things are taking place. Not always the easiest thing to hear. Here's a few other biblical writers that are trying to share that same conviction. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Job 2, in his interaction with his wife, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive 
In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And simultaneously, do we still call people to put their faith and hope in Jesus in the midst of this perspective? Do people still make real decisions? Even in the murder of our Lord, did Herod and Pontius Pilate have and make real decisions? And yet Luke tells us this. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Were were they making real decisions in real time? Yes. Yes. They were making real decisions. And yet, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And then one more. I mean, this is what we hear about Joseph feels so, so foreign. His brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you sold me into slavery. (laughs) You, you, you wanted to kill me and get me away, and yet, do not fear, as for you, you meant, you intended, you had purposes, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. A powerful quote from Spurgeon, because we look and we see the brokenness, right? We see the hurt that exists because of a fallen world And Spurgeon says this, Do not sorrow over your trials. Do not look upon them as misfortunes and calamities. They are black vessels, but they are loaded with gold. Your choicest mercies come to you disguised as your sharpest trials. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome them. Do not sorrow over them, but rejoice in them. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above coming down from the Father of lights, his character, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so, here's my encouragement. I hope, nothing new, right? Some of these ideas have been fairly familiar. And yet James keeps bringing them up. It's not a bunch of Proverbs loosely connected. James has an intent. Faith works when we're tested. And so the question that I hope we keep asking ourselves, the grid, the lens, we keep looking through this life. Faith works when I'm tested. Where? Where is that in your life? Where is that pain that emerges, that desired state that we long for, and yet the gap exists? James calls us, faith works when I'm tested. And trials, these tests, help us identify and reveal and raise to the surface what we truly love. What is being raised to the surface in your life? What what is being raised near the top? Trials help us appraise how much joy and value we find in something. And these tests designed to help draw us back to God. So church... (laughs) You know, as a pastor, I want you to be happier in Jesus tomorrow than you are today. That's my heart for you. James says, don't be deceived. He says, church, don't miss this. 
thinking rightly, thinking about who the giver of the gift is, who's writing the letters, the context makes all the difference. And sometimes I don't always see the value of the gift until later. Some might be going, is that still a gift? Yes, fly fishing next to basketball is probably God's second greatest sport. But do we believe Jesus better is better? And so as I, as, I, as I think about in my own life, this ongoing spiritual transformation happening where? Usually in the context of relationships or in the context of pain. You guys have seen this gap shared before, right? In the gap. <laughs> Between where we find ourselves, blessed are those who hunger <laughs> and thirst. Luke and Matthew say it's slightly different, for they will be satisfied. What does God want for you? Do we actually see the not-so-obvious gifts from our giver? So you've seen this flywheel before, this kingdom life cycle. And I can only think, again, there's a variety of circumstances. You may have heard me share this before, but for me, one of the deepest moments of pain for us was in this journey of infertility. And, I, and I, I'll never forget, we, we were in Kosovo at the time. We had been there uh, a few months. We ended up being in Kosovo for a year. It was uh, December of 2021. And, uh, and um, I mean, I know how biology works, right? I mean, it, so I remember thinking, you just never, you never assume how this is going to work out in your own life. I just assume when you start trying there's an inevitable byproduct of what happens, right? It's just how life works. And yet, I'll never forget, we're sitting on the side of a bed in Kosovo, uh, and, and we're just frustrated at the lack of immediacy of this desire. We had in our mind that we would return back to California after a year in Kosovo, pregnant, hitting the ground running. And yet June came and this circumstance hadn't been fulfilled in our life. And so now June turns into September. It's almost a year now since we began trying. And I'll never forget, we walk into this fertility doctor's office and his words were this. He said, David, it's not impossible for you guys uh, to get pregnant. It's just highly, highly improbable. And, and so y- your mind just gets filled with a ton of emotions, right? This circle of pain leading to some emotions that begin erupting in your life. And, and so we begin the process of pursuing, sometimes in our strength, <laughs> actual desire, sometimes saying, God, we want you to fulfill this desire. We want you to be present. But we begin four IVF processes. Still, nothing's happening. And and I can remember people coming up, well-intended people coming up and saying, David, you know, we we know, we've seen, we've experienced other families going through the same thing, and and they now have a biological kid. Go, Man, not always the most helpful thing to say when someone's in the midst of pain, right? I want to reach out there and choke them sometimes. Not always the most sensitive thing. There's a reason why we rejoice with those rejoicing and we grieve with those who are grieving. Not absent. We live in a fallen, broken world and some of the things we experience are due to the fallenness and brokenness of the world. 
and yet simultaneously never outside of God's control. And so we begin going through the foster-adopt process. And, and over about a four-year journey, uh, that comes to a close. And we end up with these few beautiful babies. And then now, again, you don't always get to see the completion. But we look back, James is actually saying, in the moments of pain, do we trust the gift giver? Because here's the challenge. Not every story ends with healing. But God, but God, I believe, has something for you, has something for us in the midst of the pain. I'm tempted to believe divorce is the option I should lean into rather than believing God is at work in this trial and wanting to reconcile us as a couple. I'm tempted to believe if I'm lured away to this other opportunity, I'm going to have a more fulfilled life. If I just had a better job, if I just had a better spouse, if I just had a better location to live in. And yet God is present saying there is a test to be had producing steadfastness that leads to life. Here's how the author of Hebrews says it. In chapter 11. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith... (laughs) who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women women received back their dead by resurrection. Hallelujah, praise God, the story ended with healing. As through my lens, the obvious gifts. And yet without missing a beat, the author of Hebrews says this. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings and floggings, even chains and imprisonment. They were, sown, they were stoned and sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy. I don't know what circumstances you might find yourselves in, if if it's similar to me as I interact with the culture around us. And I'm asking, God, where are you? What are you doing? James tells us, do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. And so instead, he calls us to ask with desperate dependence, God, use my circumstance and help me gain your perspective and see the circumstance of my life through your eyes that we pray for wisdom and continue to see and receive every gift, every good and perfect gift as given from our Father who loves us, of whom there is no shadow of changing. Pray with me. God, you are so good. That is not just a trite phrase we say. We want to believe your goodness There is a blessed assurance that you are ours, that we are in fellowship and relationship with you through your son. And so we always ask 
to continue to help us see your perspective. Help us gain a sense of our circumstances through your eyes. For your glory we pray. Amen.